Richards Bowie Versus Tillian Is this year when I'm glowy Am I killing? I hope it's not a blowy Or a villain It's time for Bowie versus Dillian. Hello there, and welcome to Bowie versus Dylan. I'm Charlie, and I like Bowie. And I'm Jake, and I love Dylan. Today we're going to be talking about the year 1994 for both of our fellows. But first... A couple plugs and announcements from my friend Chaz. All right. First of all, we you can listen to our podcast in a wide variety of mm. uh, different platforms, whichever you prefer. We are available on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Podbean, Stitcher, TuneIn, and Blueberry. I was what? trying to pronounce it because there's no there's no e in the berry part of blue. There's no e's at all in the word blueberry. It's just blur, it blubber, blueberry, blueberry, blueberry. Uh, we also you can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter, where you'll find out about all of our new stuff as it happens. And as always, we're available at www.bowieversdylan.com. Where, dear listeners, we want to turn you into dear readers. Both Charlie and I have posted a couple of posts about our respective artists and impending new releases by them, which some of them will have already come out by the time you hear this little message, but we hope that you've been going to BowieVersusDylan.com to check that out anyways. So Charlie, All right. we're talking about Back. 1994. Get going on it. Sweet. I'm, go- I'm so ready. <laughs> I am interrupting you, introducing me. Thank you. So I gotta start this out by saying 1994 we picked as kind of a like what year? It's a nothing year for both both our guys. Neither one of them released an album. Nope. Nothing big's really happening. Didn't seem that uh, way. Which can be interesting sometimes because we kind of dig stuff up. I dug up a lot of uh, kind of fascinating stuff from 1994 about David Bowie. Now can I and ask you? Can I ask you if you were actually in the backyard like digging a hole? Like when you say digging up stuff, is that what you mean? Digging stuff. Yes, digging... Okay, I'm going to (laughs) go. So, Jake, I want you to picture yourself. I am picturing myself. It's 1994. Yes. You are David Bowie. Oh, I totally David Bowie. I'm there. Bowie! Back on 1993 and what you accomplished in that year. You released uh, your second major comeback album, Mm -hmm. Black Noise, considerably better than your first comeback album, Tin Machine. Great. You managed a top ten single in the UK with Ooh. Jump They Stay, hmm. your first one in a little bit. You immediately followed up with another album, full-length album, Buddha of Suburbia, which everyone ignored because they thought it was a soundtrack, but actually it was a full album. Oh. Uh, and you're thinking to yourself, how, what am I going to do in 1994? How do I spend the year? Yeah. And uh, so I've got six choices for you, Jake. I want to pick you. Pick, I want you to pick the one that you decide not to do. In okay. 1994. Okay, so there's going to okay. be three. There's going to be three true ones and one false one. There'll be five true ones and one false. one. Oh my gosh! <laughs> I'm stacking. It started with like four choices. Oh and just no! Kept rolling in. I'm there in trouble. Too many interesting ones. Okay, here you go. I'll try to keep track. First one. I'm David Boy. Make an interactive CD-ROM game featuring videos, interviews, and a virtual mixing board. Yeah, I did that. Get in a tussle with your 1970s management company over the unauthorized release of a Ziggy-era live album. Totally did that. 
Go on a massive world tour accompanied by upcoming rapper Al B. Sure mm. and Queen Latifah. Okay, I did that. Join the editorial board of a prestigious art magazine. Mm, not sure about that one. Record the most avant-garde album of your entire career, what? featuring five songs, each one more than 20 minutes long. Okay. Or add, serve as an executive producer for an obscure Hungarian-Swiss-French fantasy film. An executive producer for an obscure Swiss-Hungarian fantasy film? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I can't even say Which that. Which one of these six did you not do? Oh, man. Uh, I think the one, the only one that sounded a little bit, well, there's two that sound sort of false. It's the last one, and there's the editorial board of a Pistritus art magazine. I'm going to go with the art magazine. You were, you were false. You're false. You, uh, do not go on tour in 1994. Oh. You released two albums in 1993. Oh. So I, I, I peppered it with a couple, you know, names here that you actually did work with. That recently. was good. You so got I put me on an that. upcoming rapper, LB Sure, who appears on Black Tie White Noise from 1993. Okay. And I threw in Queen Latifah, who we worked with in 1990. Yeah, you tricked me. It's just incomprehensible remake of Fame. Even though, even, Fame 90. even though I'm David Bowie and I should have known that, you tricked me. <laughs> you did not go on tour in 1994. <laughs> wow, okay. <laughs> so, so let's That's too get bad. I'm going to start with my favorite one. From the year. Okay. Which, well, I don't know. It's, the, it's not actually my favorite. I don't know. But most, I don't know. I'm going to go. Just go. Is the the David Bowie CD-ROM game. Yeah. Jump. This thing happened. It's called I Jump? I got to do a little shout out to Vinny from Vineyard, who just so happened to do a walkthrough YouTube video of this like two days before I looked for it, before I started <laughs> looking this up. Great minds think like, alike. Yes, go, whoever you are, Vinny. Uh, because, of course, I can't play this game, you know? It's in 1994. I don't have any machines that are, you know, that old. Oh, no. Uh, and so I was really curious about this thing because I was reading about it. And so he did a yeah, full YouTube walkthrough video of this thing. Um, you wander around hallways. Okay. You, like, click on stuff. It's that type of, of video. Uh, CD-ROMs were, you know totally sweet in 1994 yeah, as, you, as you will recall <laughs> i do i do now can i and, uh, can i ask if mist was, was mist out yet in there would go ahead was mist out yet that game mist was out then it yes. was out okay, okay that kind of started the cd round right right right, right. That's what i, I loved that game when i was you know, oh i know you school. did i know you did <laughs> i still have mist uh upstairs arthur played it my seven-year-old played it at some point hmm. uh so you wander around hallways and you click on stuff there's a few different rooms. You get to watch all of his music videos mm. from Black Tie White Noise. Just not all of them ever. Just like the four of them. Because you know, not all of them would have fit on the CD-ROM. It's the problem. No, of course not. Uh, there's like secret, special, exclusive interview videos of him. There's one of those that came kind of ubiquitous. This like mixing board thing where you could mix your own mix yes. of his song and, and one of his videos. Uh... It's not very good. Let's throw it out. <laughs> was there. it good then? What's that? Was it good then? Was it up to snuff with like? We'll talk more about that when we come down to points. Jay. Oh boy, we'll save them for later. <laughs> we'll just say, but we wanted it to be much, much more. He had grand visions for of what course. this could potentially accomplish yes. and what video games could be, and he did something much more like what he was envisioning in uh, ninety nine, two thousand. Oh, okay, which we'll get right. to when we're there. 
so there's there's jump sweet sweet jump now was this was it a problem that van halen had like a gigantic smash hit single that was called jump as well in the apparently well he the name the of bowie's song was jump you say wait wait hold on <laughs> tell me uh i'm already forgetting what the name is Jump they say. Jump they say. Okay. It wasn't just jump. All right. All right. Just one. Which minute. also doesn't get in the way of crisscross, in case you were worried about that. I was, but I figured you were. Because I'm David yeah. Bowie. You never stopped you never told me to stop being David Bowie, so I'm just I'm very concerned. <laughs> well, now I'm telling you to be crisscross. <laughs> oh. so your pants are all worried about backwards. You're gonna have to give me about thirty seconds. <laughs> are you Mac Daddy or are you Daddy Mac? I'm both answer this question from here. I'm both. All right. Next up is the semi-official release of a Ziggy Air Live album called Santa Monica 72. Yeah. It was a way popular, well-known bootleg for many years. You will be very pleased to know that it featured none other than Mick Ronson. Mick. We got ourselves some Mick Ronson. We got ourselves a Mick. So it was like a semi-official release because it was released by his record label, or not his record label, his management company from the 70s, who threw like... Shaky dealings with Bowie, who apparently didn't know what he was signing, managed to have partial rights to his music uh, from good one. most of the 70s up until 82. And Bowie eventually bought it back but with money he made from the Bowie bonds in 1997. But at the time, they still had some kind of rights in this. They did not get permission from him before releasing this. So that's why it's semi-official. Uh, it got a very official official release in 2008. Um, and we'll talk more about that in the quality. It's, it's good. It's a good... Live album. Okay. We'll just kind of say that. Good era, good live album. Rolling in at a little more Mick Ronson because we can never have enough. Now, Mick Ronson, that sweet gentleman, had died in late 93. Oh, Ron. We got to no. get into that. We got to mention that. He was working on an album at the time that he died and it was released in 94. It's called Heaven and Hole. It's only his third solo album ever. Oh. He released two in the mid 70s and didn't release another one until after he died. But we appears on three of the songs. Uh, and you're going to really care about one of the songs here, Jake. Is it a Bob Dylan cover? It's an incredibly awful cover of Like a Rolling Stone. <laughs> oh, God. It's just oh, no. really bad. Oh, that's Apparently so sad. Bowie recorded it on his own in 1988. Okay. Um, and then gave it to, after they kind of made up, uh, he gave it to Mick Ronson for... <laughs> this album so Bowie sings on it and everything what a nice gift so to give Ronson took it and he he laid down some uh some sweltering guitar all over yeah. it yeah yeah just some some really tasty just, licks just on that ripping one. it up and uh it made it I can only assume that it's better with those tasty licks than it was before uh, <laughs> it's still not very good oh <laughs> but tastier by by oh so tasty the licks, anyway, are tasty. <laughs> Those licks are we can all agree. Tasty. We can all agree on that. Yeah. Let's come together and agree that the licks on Like a Rolling Stone by Rano are tasty. <laughs> there was, obviously, <laughs> Bowie did something else with it, too. Like, I wasn't sure if he just, you know, laid it out there, just gave him the, the, the thing from 88, and that was it. But he, at one point, Bowie says something to the effect of, I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, uh, rock it, Rano, take it, Rano, <laughs> something like that. So clearly, he did go back in. He bothered to at least spend 15 minutes in the studio to run on that one. Yeah. Hard to say what else he did. Maybe he recorded all the vocals. I don't know. Hard to say. So next up on our list of improbable things Bowie did in 1994. So improbable. Was joining the editorial board of a prestigious <laughs> art magazine. This oh, happened. Yeah. 
That's it's well, called okay. Modern Painters. Yeah, good. He was on the it's editorial board <laughs> from 1994 to 2001. Um, so you noted he was really, really into art. He was doing a lot of his own art in the early 90s. Uh-huh. And I read an interesting part of an article about this because I was wondering, like, what you know, what got him into it. He did do some painting, like dabbled in it in the 70s and 80s, but he really did a lot in the 90s. He said it was because he did not feel confident in his songwriting abilities at that time. At that no point. kidding. Off of 1987's Never Let Me Down, which is his Nader Nader Raider, right there. <laughs> yeah. And uh, he was slowly getting better, but his his albums in that period are just not from you know 84 through 93 or yeah, I don't know, you know, yeah. varying levels of okay to straight out awful. Lost in the wilderness. And so he took up painting, and he felt like it really like helped him to reconnect with his creative muse and all that kind of stuff. Oh man, Chaz, we have so much painting talk today. You'll just you'll have to. Just still have some painting. Going oh on my in gosh, too? so much, yes. painting. so much painting. We should sponsor a joint uh, show for the two of them. Somehow About. find their paintings and borrow them. Somehow get prestigious enough to do this. Let's make this a goal for for life later on. I think we should. I think we should jointly. Join an editorial board of a prestigious art magazine. <laughs> the two of us, we're just on one spot. Our name is Bowie versus Dylan, and we're here to edit these paintings. <laughs> edit these art magazine. So uh, Bowie also he wrote on some art, a lot of uh, art articles. He was a okay. big art collector by this time. He had a major collection that ended up being sold not long after he died, which it was news like not long after he died. Mm-hmm. He published some art books. Okay. Which I've not. I got to learn more about that. Of, we get further on. That's not kind of quite yet. Of his and paintings, did, yeah, or or of other people's paintings. Other people's. As okay. far as I know, there is no book collecting his artwork, which is uh, too bad. I really that's, like to see that's I, I common. Found quite a few pieces online. That's common. And they're solid. They're good. So. All right. Way to go. Yeah, he painted a lot. He ended up uh, most notably. He did the artwork for the album cover to Outside, which was released in 1995. Okay. He also did some prominent interviews with artists such as Damien Hirst. Jeff Koons, and he did a pop uh, pop art legend, Roy Lichtenstein. Oh. But we did Roy Lichtenstein's final interview. He died two weeks after they did the interview. Oh. Kiss of death, I there guess. Yeah, he's got a few of those. Big <laughs> 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 Crosby, Mark yeah, Cullen. I was going to say, less yeah. said about that, the better. Yeah, we talked about that in the last episode. All right, so next up, he was the executive producer of this obscure fantasy film. Mm. The official... Title is Budos Vedes, which I, for some reason, did not write down what that translates to. Doesn't so we're still leave at that. I can't, I don't know anything about this movie. Can't think <laughs> about this. Except that Bowie, yes, was an executive producer on it for some reason. It's got all kinds of foreign people involved with it. I don't know what happened. So, uh. <laughs> so the less said about that, the better. Yeah, well, because there's not much to say. Yeah. And so let's uh, let's dive into my final piece here, which is the most interesting one, which is about this five-track, incredibly super avant-garde album that he recorded yeah. in 1984. That he released in 94 or recorded in He recorded. And okay. we'll, we'll get to that. Just oh. hold your horses, Jake. Sorry, my horses are horses. very uh, excited. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> They're excited horses. How can you not be excited about Come on. five 20-minute long I can't keep them on at bay at this point. Oh, yeah. Uh, so the, Bowie's, like, thinking about a lot of themes, and this is kind of an interesting time. I was thinking about the early 90s and how, like, I don't know, macabre and kind of, like, and negative and dirty and uh, a lot of the art was at the time. You know, you like, even get into grunge and how, like, mm-hmm. 
painful and difficult those lyrics were. And, you know, there's a lot of suicidal stuff in the art world. There's a lot of, like, really, I don't know, I don't know what the word is. You know, there's the, the performance artists literally, like, cutting off fingers in shows and stuff. Like, this oh. was happening. There's a lot of this kind of stuff. And it was there, you know, and it gave rise to the industrial world, you know, artists like Nine Inch Nails. Yeah, and, yeah. uh it's just an interesting time, you know, sure. I don't feel like we're in a time like that right now. No. When the dominant artistic stuff is not negative, it's pretty, like, positive, I think, overall. Or, or at least know, not, like, confrontational. There's there was more a lot of political stuff right now. Yeah. But back then there was a lot of, like, shocking for shocking Yeah, stuff. like, really shocking, like... Like Marilyn Manson and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, you know, he's definitely an example of that, of what was happening in there. Yeah. And so Bowie was, was into this. You know, he's looking at this, like, macabre stuff. He was looking at you know, this disfigurement as art, which was happening in the art world. Yeah. For those at home, I used to be an art teacher, so I know some about the history of here. Of people, like, doing some really out there, really painful, difficult stuff. Um, Bowie's also really interested in dystopians type stuff at the time, which he has been before, for sure. Diamond, Diamond Dogs is almost a dystopian, uh, uh, what am I looking for to say? Almost a dystopian album. Yeah. It's got parts to it. He's looking at outsider art. He, uh, he's also getting into, he's really, like, looking towards the end of the millennium and getting into that, which happened a lot at the time period. Um, and he was really into the internet. He was, like, looking at the <laughs> internet, and he started using the phrase, the information superhighway, which I'm not sure who was the first person to say that. I'm sure it wasn't him, but... I'm like, sure in 1994, you know, the White Web was barely out. This was new. It was like AOL. It had been different forms for, like, since the 50s. But the World Wide Web, the one that really blew it open, was just kind of that now. So he's hanging out with a bunch of his old buddies, most notably uh, Reeves Gabriels, who was in Tin Machine, right. and our old pet, Brian Eno, oh, who they had not collaborated in 15 years, almost. Wow, no, really? 15 years. Yeah. Huh. And so Eno was back. And they're doing these, like, they're doing tons of crazy, weird jams. They were just recording for hours at a time. You know, he's setting up these different, you know, he's got these different strategies to try to, like, get different things out of people. Like, having them play different instruments or having them, uh, yeah. like, giving a card saying, like, you're acting on a part while you're in the studio, something like that. <laughs> awesome. So, it's, there's just these long, intricate songs, including, and I wrote down, an impenetrable narrative about mm. an art murder mystery. Sounds lovely. So, uh, as far as we can tell, basically, it's not really easy to discern what the full plot is. But the basis seems to be that this girl is murdered, and it seems to be part of, like, an art project. Okay, you know, like a performance art, something like that. So we're following the detective, Nathan Adler, is trying to figure out what's going on. You know, there's it's set in the future, there's, like, body parts dealers for some reason, and yeah. there's a shadowy figure called the Minotaur, and <laughs> I don't know what's going on, but the music's pretty incredible. Mm. I'm going to just go ahead and say it. Okay. It's pretty incredible. Um, so they, they they made this album, you know, they made this entire album as a five-song double album, uh, by far the longest album Bowie ever made. Really? Not even close to anything else. And uh, it was, Bowie did not have a record or record uh, contract at the time. Oh. So it ended up being, uh, they shopped it around, it ended up being rejected by multiple record labels. In both the five-song version, and then after it got rejected, they switched down to just a three-song version, which would have been a straight double album. It's still, that would have fit on one CD then at three songs. Okay. Uh, and it got rejected, and no one would, would make it. No kidding. So wow. His cachet was, his cachet was that out. low. It's Bowie. 
I know, I mean, this is crazy. He was on a downswing, and this is, this is still a time, it feels like a different time when, when they just wouldn't release stuff because it didn't right. feel commercial. Right, exactly. Like, and with digital, down, you know, you're always going to find an audience now with the internet. Of course. There's no worries about getting people into the record store to actually buy it. You know, well, now, they're, so, they're just, so desperate to have anything that's recognizable, you know. Yeah. And so this thing is so unique and so crazy and so out there. And it's, it's one of those holy grails that Bowie releases. Now, I will say the three-song version has leaked. Um, and it I has listened to it again. Leaked. I listened to it a few times. It has. And it's incredible. Um, but the five-song version never was. And it's, not, it's never clear with those leaks if it's like a finished version or something or if it's like an early yeah, mix. Of course. Or, you, know, you never know with that kind of stuff. Of course. Um, you don't know if like the songs are in the right order or like what the whole intention yeah, is. Yeah, you can't it's, trust it's crazy it. crazy that's out there. So the, the, uh, the little different side of this is that after it was rejected by these record labels, uh, Bowie went back into the studio in 95 and used a bunch of it, and it became the album Outside, which was released in 1995. Oh, okay, okay. But so much of it, what was originally on there, did not make it into Outside, and so there's a whole bunch of new stuff recorded. It was They're very different, even though they do share different, some of the pieces of music are exactly the same. Uh, they... You know, they're very different albums. So there's rumors, you know, there's all kinds of hopes that this will show up on the appropriate 90s box set as we continue through our box sets for yeah, Bowie. Yeah, of course. Uh, which would presumably be released next year, uh, which would be incredible, but we'll see. I'm just... I'm, oh, they I'm have to. Thing. I want the full five-track version of this real bad. Real, real bad. Real, real bad. Real, real bad. So there you go. Uh, last thought is, of course... The year in Bowie's hair, which Yay. is a theme song, Dick. Get on top of this. Let's go. So, I, it's not that exciting of a year. It's kind of like, I feel like, you know, we did 1989 not so long ago. I don't know if it changed since 1989. <laughs> Still that kind of like years. slicked back look, but with some of the strands coming forward. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, he seems to have a goatee sometimes, goatee yeah. mustache sometimes, yeah. but not all the time. Yummy. Uh, I don't know. I'm going to give him a three, just for kind of laziness. A like, three, yeah. Like, you know? Yeah. Middle of the road. Still the same. Five years later, he's still basically the same hair as. I mean, come on, Bowie. Come on, You're Bowie. Bowie. Come You're on. Bowie. I mean, Bowie. Why don't you can't be Bowie? Have the same hairstyle for more than two years at a time. Oh, we all Bowie. know that. We're we're retroactively disappointed in you. <laughs> I'm just I'm so disappointed. <laughs> come on. Come on. Let's go. <sighs> Bowie. So that's Bowie in '94. All kinds of crazy stuff. I yeah. I think we've said this before, but this was. It's, the podcast has been fun because sometimes I'd cover this stuff that I had no clue about. Kind of spent, you know, five minutes thinking about 1994 and Bowie's life before in my life. But I ended up uncovering all this kind of interesting stuff that informed a lot of what I was doing later on. Well, so, good one, 1994. Way well to go, done. 94. Way to go. Well, I was 13 in oh, 1994. And uh, for, my, for my Dylan rant today, I just have to say that this, I guess this was a, a personally... Uh, significant year for me in my relationship with Bob Dylan. All right, and I'll tell you why, James. Or uh, I just called you James. Just call, call me your son, Sam. <laughs> <laughs> I sure did. What's going on here? Wow. Well, let's. The less said about that, the better. <laughs> uh, Bob Dylan ended up on a very important soundtrack this year in 1994, and I wanna I wanna give you. A very interesting... No, no, hold on. Hold on. Don't think too hard. Because I have a double... A cascading multiple choice question for you. (laughs) (laughs) 
Okay. <laughs> See if you can follow me. I'm going to give you a multiple choice question of four answers. And in that, you're going to pick the two soundtracks out of the four that I list that uh-huh. Bob Dylan was featured on or was on. Okay. And then, without me telling you whether you're right or wrong, I'm going to ask you another question following that between the two, <laughs> between the two entries that you said. Okay, all right. right go. All right, so here it is. Which two soundtracks did Bob Dylan feature on in the year 1994, which apparently was a pretty big year for soundtracks? I remember this year. Okay. A, The Crow. Remember that movie? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. You loved it. B, Forrest Gump. C, Pulp Fiction. Or D, Natural Born Killers. Which two right. was Bob Dylan on? I'm saying no to Pulp Fiction because I own that soundtrack and I don't oh, remember fine. Dylan on there. I'm saying yes to Forrest Gump because how do you, you know, traipse around America throughout <laughs> the 60s and 70s without Dylan showing up there somewhere? All right. So you have Forrest a, Gump's a yes. All right. You have a choice uh, I'm between... I'm going to go the, with Natural Born Killers because The Crow was one of those like kind of industrial things we were just talking about. Okay. From the period that, you know, just doesn't seem to get made anymore. All right. Time. That's all my right. guess. Okay, so I'll just tell you that you are correct, since you are correct. Yes! Yes! Right. Nice, Chaz! All right, and then, you're probably going to get this too, um, since you're so dialed in right now. <laughs> Which of the two became my, Jake's, entry point into Bob and other rockin' musicians? I would guess Forrest Gump, because I wow. remember you owning that. You're just on fire. You got it. Yes! Oh, <laughs> take that, everyone! <laughs> take that, everyone, who... Everyone said I would fail. Here I am. <laughs> Here I am now on top of the world. Oh, man. You're so good. You know, life is like a box of chocolates, Jess. I don't know if you <laughs> no, know. You couldn't make it. You never you? know what you're going to get. The Forrest Gump soundtrack. Now, 1994, uh, as I mentioned, was a big year for me. I got my first CD player. In oh, 1994. Nice. I, and I bought my first CDs, incidentally. One of them, the very first one, was Pearl Jam's Versus. Yeah, I remember that. Oh, yeah. Still got that one. It's hanging on the shelf. Um, <laughs> another one was the Pulp Fiction soundtrack. I was pretty obsessed with okay. that. It did not feature Bob Dylan. Um, and no. then another one, I'm sure one of my first ones was that Forrest Gump. Because I, I just, I, I love that thing. I was all up in that. It came in the big clunky double CD yeah. case, you know, I that they used those. to have. Huge jewel case. It was like. It wasn't just double the size. It was like four times the size because they put that huge divider in the (laughs) middle. I've seen people, you know, I guess the Flaming Lips used that size to put four discs in there. Very comfortable. They did. I remember that. (laughs) I bought that too. They had the double size. They had room to spare. It was like. That was over like 97. It wasn't like this was later, you know? Well, they eventually invented that one that was the size of a normal jewel case, and they very, oh, yeah. very smartly were able to fit two CDs easily. In oh, there. very easily. But not this bad boy. And I even remember, <laughs> now I don't have it anymore for some reason. I must have lost it or sold it or something like that in my past. And I, I'm kind of uh-huh. bummed now because I listened to that thing a billion times. <laughs> Forrest Gump Watch soundtrack. Watch out for Christmas with your jig. I know what I'm getting you. Yeah, you just get me a nice 50... 50- Double jewel case, or, or nothing. Get me a 50-cent copy of the Forrest Gump soundtrack. Don't give me the slimline. I don't want it. I want repressings in a cardstock or something. No. No way. packs get out of here. I don't care about that. MP3s, what are those? <laughs> I want triple the size of jewel case. I want to have to buy a new shelf just for that. <laughs> uh, yeah. 
So not only did that uh, now, I what what happened here is that I I didn't remember that that Bob Dylan was even on that soundtrack until I started okay. doing my research, and I was like, oh, because that was pre obviously pre Time Out of Mind. I wasn't in high school yet. I was yeah. just like just that year getting into my own music. I think yeah, because. Um, I had been listening to Dad and Mom's music, which you know filled in a lot of great gaps. I had the Beatles, I had Led Zeppelin, I had uh, you know a whole bunch of their stuff from the early '90s. REM, Bruce Coburn, Bonnie Raitt, you know all the classics. Cry, okay, okay, go. <laughs> <laughs> Some of it wasn't so good, but I was listening. That's what I was listening to. I don't know about you, but I never, I never made it like into the pop music realm because of that. I never. I never like listened to the radio and liked New Kids on the Block like every other kid might. Well, age. no, I never, you know, I never did that. Yeah, I got I got some skeletons in my in my musical closet. Well, we all do. Line, but we all do. Uh, but no, I was it, at least was alternative radio. And but I should, never I never connected with with Mom and Dad's collection the same way that you did. Yeah, no, I definitely did. But what the Forrest Gump soundtrack did, I realized as I was looking at the playlist, was it it took me a little bit further than uh, where they were willing to go. Like the doors, yeah. the doors were on there, and I loved okay. the doors. And that was a little too hard, you know, a little too mysterious or mystical or weird or whatever. Uh, Jimi Hendrix drug, was on there. Like our folks drug fueled, drug fueled baby, all the drugs. Jimi Hendrix was on there. Our parents didn't listen to Jimi Hendrix. Um, some other ones. Also, it should be mentioned that the soundtrack is so... I didn't realize it at the time, obviously. But it's so obvious, it's, like, hilarious. Like, I was looking at the the track list. And in yeah, the there's movie... There's no deep cuts in there. There's not, and they're all so, like, wedded to either the time and the place or, mm-hmm. like, the topical thing that's happening in the song. Um, or in the movie. So there's six, in Forrest Gump the movie, there's six montages of Forrest Gump running. <laughs> okay? Because he runs for like four years nice or whatever. One. And oh, right, right. it's oh, like, right. one of them is like, running on empty by Jackson Brown. <laughs> running down a dream. You know? Like, it's you all about like, run? it's literally born about run? running. What? Born to run? Oh, No. They didn't do Born to Run. Why couldn't they get some Springsteen? What's that's, wrong with come them? Come on, that's, that's low-hanging fruit here. They must not have been able to clear those rights. Springsteen was like, <laughs> I will not be part of such an obvious montage. <laughs> you can't do that to me. Uh, anyway, so I found, I was very excited. I found like a, I found like a Rosetta Stone to my fandom, to Bob Dylan. Because he is, he's on there. He has Rainy Day Women, number 12 and 35, which is Everybody Must Get Stoned. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then Joan Baez is singing Blown in the Wind, and then Jimi Hendrix has All Along the Watchtower. So it's right. kind of like, I was like, wow, Forrest it's Gump. Triple threat. You really, uh, you really opened my eyes, Forrest. Way to go. He <laughs> your... also met all of those people for some reason and accidentally wrote those three songs. <laughs> he did. And he was... scenes for the movie that weren't included because it was tedious. He was president of the United States for part of that, for sure. <laughs> While he was spouting folksy colloquialisms. <laughs> Run, Forrest! Run! <laughs> but we've done before. We've been talking about Forrest Gump for like ten minutes. I know. Forrest Gump deserves <laughs> to be talked about. Do you have anything else to talk about with Bob Dylan in 1994? Yeah, I guess. Do anything but feature on this uh, soundtrack? All right. So here's the thing. That was that was basically the first three quarters of the year was Bob Dylan doing. <laughs> 
So he was doing the uh, the never ending tour. Obviously, he went all rolled. Obviously, it's still never ending. It's never it's ending. It's in the it's in the fifth or sixth year of the never ending tour. He did like a hundred dates, just like every other year. So, um, but then all of a sudden there was a torrent of activity starting on August fourteenth, nineteen ninety four, the twenty fifth anniversary of Woodstock. Oh, which Dylan was not at. Dylan was not at, famously. (laughs) Um, They put it in his backyard so that maybe he would wander over with a guitar and be like, Hey, can I join your festival? No, he didn't do that. He went to the Isle of Wight and made $50,000 instead. He made, to go to Woodstock 94, he made $600,000 to play one set. He went to Woodstock 94. Yeah, and he made (laughs) $600,000. I would go to Woodstock '94 for six hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, also. I mean, I have in case some. Anyone's wondering. I have some alternative punk ethics that might prevent me from taking that money, but no, six hundred thousand. But I guess it won't after all. Yeah, I think I'd take that. Uh, and apparently, he was a smash hit. Now, Bob, Bob in '94 was, you know, was climbing that mountain back to relevancy, which I didn't, I didn't really <laughs> which realize. Peaked in, which peaked in '97. Exactly, but he had to he had to do some interesting things to get there. He had to he had to stop making albums of original material for one. <laughs> <laughs> he had to knock that off because that wasn't helping whatsoever. So his last his last album of that kind was in 1990 with the absolute disastrous Under the Red Sky. He released okay. two albums, one in '92 and one in '93, of um, varying degrees of folk covers, just him and acoustic guitar. Uh, okay. In 92, it was Good As I Have Been To You, which was kind of a more positive, uh, you know, folk song covers, like Froggy Went To Courtin'. I don't know if you know that song. It's silly. <laughs> yeah, I do. It's silly. And uh, in 93... Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm picturing Dylan nine, singing it right now. Yeah. Uh, there's like literally 72 verses or something. I don't... <laughs> he doesn't sing them all, luckily. In 93, he released... Just wait until the Bootleg series of that one. Right? It's a full 35 version of Bobby Went Courtin'. It'll be called, it'll be called Bobby Went Courtin'. <laughs> the whole name of the box set. Oh, man, I look forward to it. Oh, that's so great. Hopefully that'll be this year. We'll see. Oh, I'll be so mad if that's the case. <laughs> uh, he also released World Gone Wrong in 1993, which was a uh, much better, much darker spin, like murder ballads and things like that. But still, none of his original songs. And then somewhere along the way, like right in that early 90s into the mid-90s, I think two important things happened. One, he got old. Like his career became like a legacy. Yeah. He was 30 years, you know, his his career was basically like 30 years old. Uh, the 80s were a bit in yeah, the rear wow. view. You know, forget about the uh-huh. 80s. That, that never happened. And then the new generation of rockers... Whether that be Nirvana, mostly Pearl Jam, um, you know, some of these new grunge acts were more amiable to classic rock. Than, yeah, that's true. Like the punk rockers were like, we're going to kill Led Zeppelin. We hate them. Yeah, like, yeah, you couldn't admit to liking the Beatles. Exactly, correct. But this new generation was covering their songs, they were going back into the well, and they had a lot of respect for them. Like in 92, Dylan had this 30th anniversary concert where. Not only did all the luminaries from the 70s and 60s show up, like Neil Young and et cetera, et cetera, but like Pearl Jam was there. They were part of this new continuum, and they were kind of carrying on the legacy of, uh, of these classic rockers. So all of a sudden, Dylan was like just bordering on being cool again in spite of himself. I don't think he had quite done anything yet to be cool. 
But apparently he was nervous uh, to go on stage at Woodstock 94 because these were, this was like exclusively young people. There was like so many young hey, bands. Can I, can I interject something that I totally forgot about that's completely relevant to what you're saying right now? If it's relevant, yes. <laughs> with, the, with this really quick like one-liner is uh, in 1994, Nirvana's MTV Unplugged in New York was released, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which notably contained an obscure David Bowie song, The Man Who Sold the World. You know what? That wasn't even relevant subsequently became all. a not uh, obscure song anymore. Did you I'm sorry. Have, did I you, didn't have that written down, and it was notable. Did you go, have to put that in you. there? I forgot did, to put that in there. I don't think... Thanks a lot for just interjecting into Dylan with your bully But it talk. just works with what you're saying here. Is yes, the grunge people actually cared about classic rock, including both of our gentlemen. All right, that's fi- fine. You're right. There you go. Done. Right. Thanks very much. Uh, Five hundred fifty thousand people apparently were on. Uh, were, were at this Woodstock thing. I don't. Not at every concert, of course. But Dylan played for <laughs> a lot of people. Um, and apparently, he killed it. It's kind of a classic concert. It's on YouTube. Um, I think they'll probably, like, release it at some point, I would guess. Good. Okay, yeah. all right, moving forward a little bit. November 15th, 1994, two incredible things happened. One, Bob Dylan released his Greatest Hits, Volume 3. <laughs> wow. So, more <laughs> <laughs> Volume 2 released in 1971. Well, Volume 2 was released in 1971, and so... We have a very awkward situation with Bob Dylan's Greatest Hits. Uh-huh. Now, Greatest Hits is in extreme air quotes, I want to say, for this. Because it, in terms it covers the years 1973 to 1991, which, um, as you're starting to learn, um, hearing me talk about it, uh-huh. is uh, there was two the great albums. years were good. <laughs> two and great albums in worked. the late 70s, and then... Nothing. With a couple of bright <laughs> points, but not very many. Yeah, so it's a really it's a really awkward collection. I I I would hesitate to call it like a greatest hits past. He put he put like one song each from most albums that he uh-huh. released, including including one from Blood on the Tracks, which is indisputably in the top three of his albums of all time. Just one oh, song yeah. from that. And then one from Desire, and then like one from each '80s album, except he skipped Empire Burlesque from '85. Which what? <laughs> Come that, on! That's supposed to be his worst. That's supposed to be his worst album. Uh, no, I think Under the Red Sky is, but we'll see. We haven't done. <laughs> I haven't listened to Empire Burlesque. I have it on record, and I I wouldn't put it on for unless I had to, which I'm going to have to. Which eventually you will. Yeah, this podcast will definitely make me do that. Um, this, it, it, uh, it was a big, fat, weird flop. It, it peaked at 126 in the U.S. And 150 in the U.K., burning up the charts. <laughs> I just, I think he should have put out another one maybe in the 80s somewhere, and then another one in the 90s, I guess. Maybe do a decade-by-decade yeah. decade thing. I'm not real yeah. sure what he could have done. But, like, these are not great songs. The greatest... <laughs> There's a couple great ones, but I think they're mostly in relation to what what else is out there from that time period, which uh-huh. is bad, you know. Um, so he put three from the sessions of Oh Mercy, which we've talked about from 1989, including right. the single, which was, a, which was one of the bright points, the, the brightest point, Daniel, Daniel Lanois. Thank you. Yeah, you you have been listening. I do listen to you sometimes. Wow. Uh, 
Dignity was this single off of that, which was an outtake from Oh Mercy. He also put a Series of Dreams, which we've talked about, that should have been on Oh Mercy. So an outtake, two outtakes out of the 14 tracks from this 20-year period from Oh Mercy are supposedly greatest hits on his greatest hits package. Uh-huh. I mean, Didn't that happen, though, with his greatest hits volume two, though? I know, like, five unreleased tracks on that. Yeah, but he released them, he recorded them for that collection. Oh, okay. So these were, like, dug up. because Just straight they up outtakes. Yeah, it's 77 minutes of music, and, like, you know, a quarter of it is outtakes. <laughs> greatest, <laughs> greatest hits. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's kind of hard to listen to. Um, I'll give it. I'll give it points later. But it's not. It's a weird. It's a pretty weird collection. I gotta say. Um, and then that very same day, on November fifteenth, he released his very first book of paintings. He released his own book of paintings called Well Drawn Blank. He had been painting apparently for years and years. He painted the cover to his nineteen seventy album Self Portrait. And okay. he, he did a self-portrait for it, in case you were wondering. <laughs> that, okay, yeah. <laughs> Very I, on the oh, nose. I, now that you think about it, that makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah, it was a self-portrait for an album titled Self-Portrait. It's kind of like putting uh, Running on Empty during a Forrest Gump running scene. <laughs> but not Born to Run. Come on. <laughs> they, could, they, can't, they can't have been able to clear it. There's no way. Because it was like a bunch of running songs, and I'm forgetting what they are now. It's just too bad. <laughs> I mean, if anyone was born to run, it was Forrest Gump, okay? <laughs> He was born to run. That's why everyone's yelling, run Forrest, run at him all the time. <laughs> As his shackles break from his legs. All right. Oh, Forrest! No more Forrest. <laughs> it was metaphorical as well as a physical transformation. I get it now. <laughs> he was born to run! He was born to run! Baby, we were born to run! <laughs> all of us! Run to the theaters to see Forrest Gump. America, America, America. <laughs> I just got to tell you a very quick personal controversy I had. <laughs> okay, go. So for like, I'm saying like maybe three or four years after Forrest Gump came out. Now I'm a, I'm a, I'm a teenager. <laughs> so, so you know, cut me some slack. I'm not, I'm not the uh, the brightest bulb in in humanity because I'm a teenager. My frontal lobe hasn't been developed yet. <laughs> I was, like, so perplexed for three or four years that there were no Beatles songs on the Forrest Gump soundtrack. And I eventually realized that they only put American music on there. And the Beatles, oh, I mean, I don't listen to them as much as you. So the Beatles are not American, but I was like, they're not American. That's I was true. like outraged, like, what? No beat? How can you tell Probably the story of the sixties? No on there either, Jake. Yeah, our boy sucks. I don't know, one of those two. Uh, oh, John uh, right, Blank. Are you done with uh, Bowie versus Gump yet? Or? <laughs> yes, I think I am. Uh, <laughs> All right, Dylan. I want the paintings. Book of paintings. Okay, so I need you to. I want you to do something interactive with me here, live on the podcast. Will you please... Are you in front of your computer? I know that you are. Yeah, I am. <laughs> Will you Google Bob Dylan, right. drawn blank, and tell me the very first painter that enters your... Do an image search, and tell me drawn the very blank. first... Yeah, drawn blank. Bob Dylan, drawn blank. Yep, just go to the image search, tell me the very first painter you think of when you see his... I want to see go. how smart I am. Huh? Van Gogh. Okay, Van Gogh. I was thinking Mark Chagall. What about that? I can see that too, for okay. sure. 
But the first picture looks more like Van Gogh to me. All right, fine. Van Gogh. Who's that guy? Who cares? Uh, <laughs> so it was, it was a lot of... Uh, drawn blank was a lot of empty rooms, empty hotel rooms, diners, <laughs> places to be alone. And then, quote, I'm quoting this, voluptuous, naked, African-American women. That's a I mean, I'm seeing a couple of them in these. I'm like looking through the image search. There's definitely a few of them in there. Yeah. So these are apparently Bob Dylan's interests while he was painting. Uh, he was always alone, yeah. and he was always thinking about voluptuous women. So there you go. I don't. I don't. <laughs> For you. The paintings are decent. Yeah. Aren't they good? They're fine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know how they're you know received or respected within the art world, but he has you uh-huh. know he occasionally has like art shows and things in Europe and uh, in other places. So that was kind of a surprise, like, oh, Bob Dylan can do this, make a whole book of paintings. Uh-huh. Fine. Way to go, Bob. Uh, All right, let's lay down some points, because I do not know who's going to win even now. No, I think I think you might, but you're going to go first, so let, let me I'm have gonna it. i go first. We'll find out. Be honest with yourself, you know? Don't, like, cheat oh, your way above me. I've been honest. All right. So first up, we have a rate is Santa Monica 72, the semi-authorized live album. Um, we had a little, like, controversy over whether to count it now or whether to count it in 2008 when it's officially released. I went for now because it wasn't... Bowie doesn't have a lot of these, like, semi-official releases. Some artists seem to have a million of those popping out all over the place. Right. But um, this one seems like it's pretty legit. Most of the books I've read and most of the stuff, like, seems to date it to 94 is when it first came out. It was slightly remixed to change for 2008, so we won't count any points then. We're counting it now. Fine. Uh, it's a good show. It's from the first leg of the Ziggy Tour, but we previously had a live album from the Ziggy Tour called Ziggy Tar- Stardust, the, mar- the motion picture, released in 1983. Yeah. It's also not from the time period. And that one's from the second leg of the tour. And so they're very, very different, because the, the other one came out after... Aladdin Sane had already been released. Am I remembering that right? Yes. And this one's before Aladdin Sane. Um, and you so it's sound, got a lot, very different track list. You sound Aladdin Great, insane right now. Friend. What's that? You sound Aladdin insane right now. Well, that, that's what the pun is on the title, actually, Jake. <laughs> Good one. Uh, so it's more, I feel like it's more energetic. It's more like down to basics. They're just kind of like rough and raw and, you know. Okay. He was kind of in that proto-punk range, you know, with like Iggy, Iggy Pop and uh, Lou Reed. It's pretty immediate. It's pretty good. It's pretty solid. So, for those at home, we do get points based on an elaborate, confusing system yep. of our own device that we understand. And care Why about are, a lot. And can go as low as a possible negative three points and as high as a possible three points. I'm giving this guy two. Two. All right. So it's a solid good. It's, it's good. You've already beat me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Nice one. Well, you'll see. I, I think I'm going to end there, actually. Um, but we did release a single. It was from Santa Monica 72. It's a live version of the song Ziggy Stardust. Um, it's good. It's solid. I don't know. It's not amazing. I'm going to point five. Singles okay. go from negative one to one. So we got a point right. five on that one. Sounds good. And then we got a rave jump at the interactive CD-ROM. Because he was very involved with this, it was it was worth it. Um, so there's definitely question about looking back on this. What was this important at the time? Because of course it yeah. looks like junk now, but that does not say really what you know what was going on with this. So I found multiple books talking about this being as like an innovative, you know, important special thing with different stuff. And so I was thinking, okay, well I'll give this you know a half a point or something. Yeah, you know, like it, it deserves it. But then 
I found a hilarious contemporary <laughs> review from Entertainment Weekly, and they hated it. Oh, no. They talked about how bad it was, and they were going on and on. They seemed to combine this a lot. There must have been a Prince CD around at a very similar time, because they kept mentioning this. Even though it was officially a review of the Bowie one, they kept mentioning the Prince one a lot, yeah. how much better it was. <laughs> so he was the trailblazer, and Bowie was, like, coattailing it. I don't know. Well, no, not because they, they were talking about how this has already become like ubiquitous, like this this CD-ROM musician CD-ROM thing had become yeah. a thing over the last two years. It's a thing. So I hear I'm thinking it's innovative. I'm like, no, this is already out. They're already talking about how open sale the uh, the mixer board thing is. Oh no, that's like just nothing really special. There's not much to it. That it's plain. It's boring. And I've got some some really choice quotes from this <laughs> review, Jake. That I've just been waiting to share with you. So I got three really good ones here. First one, <laughs> plain old ego trip disguised as diversion. Ooh, ouch. If there's genuinely fresh work to be created in this amazing medium, it won't be coming from rockers looking for a hip replacement. Oh, <laughs> oh bird. And my favorite. <laughs> yeah. A press kit by any other name. Jump has a few playful point-and-click touches. But they're buried under a sludge pile of waxen earnestness. (laughs) (laughs) I really, I'm gonna say that that last one. Whoa! Baby's so happy. Somebody whipped out their thesaurus for that one. Earnestness. That's a really beautiful language right there. It's really good. (laughs) Wow. Okay, so so never mind. What 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 did that do to your? I only have this. I only have this one contemporary review to look at yeah and everyone else seems to think it like everyone else i read every like every bowie book if they mention it at all which i don't very often yeah seem to think it was you know kind of innovative or interesting or you know like light entertainment like so i'm giving it a negative 0.5 okay we're reading this one in a possible negative one to one i'm gonna do negative 0.5 <laughs> just because it's only this one scathing review that really seems to hate it oh but also gosh. having looked at the game it doesn't look that interesting you know i played enough mist to know how much better that is than this so well we all need to go back to five. just playing cd roms and having like six cd roms to pump into our computer at all oh times. yeah gosh. <laughs> so we ended with a2 Okay, you know what, Shaz? We have something very historic happening right now, and I'll. Uh, Is it going to be the tie? I was wondering about it. It's going to be the tie. It's going to be the straight tie. So I'll tell you how we get there. Bob Dylan in 1994, he released Bob Dylan's Greatest Hits Volume Three. We generally judge Greatest Hits collections on a plus one to negative oh, one wow. scale. Yeah. And this one's not so great. I mean, obviously it has some some real some real smash hits, but. It's a weird time for Bob. It's a weird collection of songs that he that he put together here. Um, so I'm going to give it a, a negative 0.5. Okay. I'm not going all the way. I'm not going yeah, all no, the way to the depths. You know, because there's good songs on there. But yeah, sure. just an odd... I just like to know, like, why they thought we should do this right now. Instead of... <laughs> you know? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. He wasn't releasing an album that year, so maybe that's what it was about. That was probably why. Okay, his live uh, experience was particularly good this time because he did his entire never-ending tour without a hitch, Mm -hmm. apparently, and he played Woodstock 94. Uh, Oh, and he recorded his MTV Unplugged in November 94 in New York City. Okay, so it wasn't released then. but It wasn't released, but it was was a live show. So I'm just going to kind of pile that on top. Oh, you said it hasn't been released. Okay. It wasn't released until 95. Um, It aired in 94. 
Okay. Um, on MTV. So I'm just going to give his entire live experience a plus one this year. Yep. Yep, sounds good. His single was Dignity, which is a great song. Great Dylan song. Um, one of his better latter-day releases. Latter-day mm. being anything like after 1989, probably. Okay. Um, since Oh Mercy. Um, so I'm going to give that a plus one. Good song. And then his Drawn Blank painting series... As you've seen online, they're yeah. good, but not great. They're decent, yeah. And also, it's kind of a surprise. You know, hey, here's something else he can do. So, I'm going to give that a plus .5. Okay. Uh, and that brings us to, as teased, a plus 2.0. Wow. A tie. First tie. Whoa. Tie it up, baby. I was going baby. this thinking, thinking I had it sewn up, but I didn't know about the... Uh, I didn't know what a single and stuff. I thought we were, I was gonna pull it off. Oh, it's, well. it's all about drawn blank, really. Yeah, yeah. If I could give extra five points for that. the Forrest Gump soundtrack, I would, but I don't think you would like that. <laughs> you can't, I'm not letting that happen. No. <laughs> <laughs> I thought about springing an extra special 10 pointer for <laughs> <laughs> Dylan's one track on the soundtrack. Uh, well, the two related tracks. Indirectly involved with two more. <laughs> He wrote a lot of songs in American history. Did did David Bowie? Because he he wasn't even American. See, he lived in America most of his life, so yes. I yes, even remember the tagline for... I can see the, the front of the CD. It said, 32 American classics on two CDs. Ah, <laughs> oh, great. I can't wait. <laughs> I would have to rewatch that movie. I think I remember way more of that movie than I care to admit. Wow. <laughs> I think, uh, I think, Running on empty. I think we have that movie. I think Running Claudia on. has that movie. My wife. Running dry. Right. <laughs> <laughs> we gotta get out of here. Uh, next up, we're yeah. taking things back to the secret origins of David Bowie and Bob Dylan Ooh. by doing our earliest possible year, that year being 1964. Wow. 1964 was not the first musical release for Dylan. Was what, not. Start out in 61 or 62? 62. It was the first uh, single of David Bowie at the age of 17. So we're going to take this opportunity to look back at them yeah. for this time and then fill in. We'll actually count points for 1964. I'm Jake, I'm going to be honest. I'm pretty sure that David Jones, as his name was at the time, <laughs> he wasn't even Bowie. One single from 1964 is going to destroy anything Dylan might have done in the mid 60s. Yeah, I think, I'm going to go on a limb here, Jake. I think I, I can pretty solidly say that. I think that one single better be worth about 12 points. <laughs> yeah, maybe it will be, Jake. Maybe it will. It better be like Forrest Gump-esque in its importance. <laughs> well, it's, I think it's a cover of an American song, so I'll have to learn more about that for next time. Mm, Forrest Gump 2, anyone? <laughs> All right. Well, as always, folks, subscribe to our podcast Please do. if you haven't already for some reason on whatever your platform of choice is. Yeah. Check out BowieVersusDylan.com. And uh, I'm Charlie, and I like Bowie, and I'll see you next time. And I'm Jake, and I love Dylan, and I will also see you next time, 1964.